So last week, Roland did a great job of setting up our stewardship season by walking us through Galatians 6, reminding us to care for one another, to not grow weary in the work that God has called us to do. Uh, I probably mentioned this last year, but stewardship used to be the season that I dreaded the most, right? You can count on three seasons in the church, Easter, Christmas, and stewardship. I used to dread it the most, especially when I first took this call. Uh, But I got over it a couple years ago, and partly because it's, at least recently, it's just not an issue that we really have to stress out about here. Um, This church has always been so generous, especially over the past couple years, so y'all keep it up. Great job, good job. Um, But I also got over my fear of talking about money because I realized, like, it's just money. Like, it's neither good or bad in and of itself. It's a resource, and our job as disciples of Jesus is to use it and to responsibly steward it for the good of God's kingdom. And no disciple of Jesus should be worried when we start talking about money, and no disciple of Jesus should withhold when we need money to do the work. It is not the source of our joy. It's a resource that God will use. We just need to learn to trust him with it. But it's also not our only resource. It's just one among many resources that we have to use. So over the next couple weeks, we're actually not gonna talk a whole lot about money. (laughs) And what I wanna do over the next couple weeks is I wanna give you at least an overview of the vision that our session has for the next five years of ministry here at First Pres, Because you do need to know what we're asking you to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure in. But before we do that and before we get to the scripture, I thought this would be just a really good opportunity just to remind you of where we've been. So I started here as the lead pastor on April 1st of 2019, and that's no joke. (laughs) Actually, yeah. Um, Roland accepted the role of executive pastor just a couple months before that. And when we got here, we inherited a years-long conversation about renovating the church. So really quickly, we held a congregational meeting to decide whether we were going to do it or not. Y'all decided to do it, and we did. Even paid it off three years early. Renovation started in June of 2019. It was completed just in time for Christmas and just in time for a pandemic in March of 2020. And praise God for it. The renovation, not the pandemic. (laughs) Um, Because without the technological updates that were made just to this room in particular, like we couldn't have offered the kind of online worship that we did throughout the pandemic. So while the spaces were being renovated, our session was meeting throughout the entire time, going through a process of discerning who God was calling us to be as a church. And we decided early on that rather than starting with a vision just for the next five years, we decided to look at the big picture, to look first at our purpose for existing, to think about our mission as the body of Christ in Kingwood, to think about the values that would guide our ministries and our decisions as we moved forward. And I mean, it's been a minute since we've talked about it in worship, but I hope you remember the language. Our purpose comes from Matthew 22. It's the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Our mission statement as a church comes from Matthew 28, the great commission. Therefore, go and make disciples. We are to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Our purpose is why we exist. Our mission is what we do. 
So then we established a set of values to help guide our ministries and the decisions that we would make. That we are building disciple, making disciples who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission focused, and gospel fluent. We established a model of being both a church that gathers together and a church that's sent out. Gathered and sent is the language we use. We gather to remember and celebrate what the Lord has done, but also to equip and encourage one another as we are then sent out as a part of the mission of God into the world that God so loves. Each of us sent into our own mission fields every time we leave this place. And then we reinforce that truth week after week with this benediction that we speak over one another at the end of every gathering. So our purpose, our mission, our values, these are timeless. These are generational truths that honestly shouldn't change. But rooted in those timeless truths, there are seasons of change. There's seasons where we need to focus in a particular direction. And our session has spent the past year prayerfully discerning, listening, and establishing a vision for the next five years of ministry. So what I wanna do today, um, I'm gonna read through some of Galatians 6 again. We're gonna start in verse six. um, And then I'll begin to share at least part of that vision today and we'll do this over the next couple weeks. So uh, from Galatians 6, starting in verse six. Paul writes, he says, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. Let's not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, doing good to all people, verse 10, doing good to all people, that's a given. That's obvious. We find that all throughout the scriptures. What's unique about this verse is his instruction to do good, especially to those who are a part of the household of faith. Now, Paul uses that same language when he writes to another church in the city of Ephesus. This is from Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, we're going to talk more about that incredibly long run-on sentence (laughs) over the next couple weeks. But when Paul wrote this, he was addressing a really particular division in that church. And it was a division between Jew and Gentile. And that division was a barrier to true community and to real fellowship among those who believed in Jesus, whether they came from a Jewish background or a Greek background. And Paul makes it clear throughout his letters that none of the boundaries that we use to divide ourselves from one another, none of them can or should keep us from being one people. Like, listen to the language again. He says, God's household. 
being built together into a dwelling place for God. Now listen, that's good news today. That because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, because of his commission passed on to his disciples and now down to us, because of his power, the spirit alive in us, we have been adopted into a new family, into the church. Because y'all listen, there's all these debates. Is the church a business or, church is kind of like a business sometimes, but the church is not a business. The church is also not like a family. The church is a family. The church is not like a family, the church is a family. Now here's the problem. That word family means a lot of things to a lot of people. And oftentimes it's based on experience. Uh, A group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. All the descendants of a common ancestor. That's how Oxford and his dictionary define the word family. I don't think that's good enough. (laughs) It's kind of lame. Scripture uses different words. One of those words is the word oikos. And this is how a biblical uh, dictionary of biblical grief defines this word oikos. It says, persons who are related by kinship or by circumstances and form a closely knit group, members of a household. Now that's more like it, right? A structure formed either by blood or by circumstance, right? The family you're born into and the family that you choose. A group that is knit together, and I love that language too, and I don't know anything about knitting, but, but like I think I get the picture. Like individual strands twisted over and under and around one another that form a pattern. Something knit together is strong, it's not easily undone. Greek has another word that describes this, it's the word koinonia. Close association involving mutual interest and sharing communion and fellowship, an attitude of goodwill that manifests an interest in a close relationship, generosity, participation, and sharing. Look, if you take all these definitions and if you knit them together, you get an image of the most beautiful institution in all of creation. A community that's built not only on mutual interest, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ on the foundation of the scriptures that were breathed by the Holy Spirit and written down by his apostles. It's a multi-generational, multi-ethnic family. Knit together. Committed to the same purpose and mission. Passing on a set of values from generation to generation. A multi-generational, multi-ethnic family. Knit together committed to the same purpose, mission, passing a set of values on from generation to generation. That brings us to our vision for the next five years. And we're calling it growing together. Our session believes that we are called to grow together, to embody this oikos, this koinonia, to become more than a people that share mutual interest and ideas, but to really become a family a place where people can truly belong. I wanna read you something from a New Testament scholar. His name is Klein Snodgrass. He says this. He says, we need to belong, to have some sense of fit in the world. And this text tells us that we belong with God and we are involved in what he is doing. And the other people in the house are family with us. 
This home defines us. Christ has given us place in this world, and from that sense of belonging comes a growing ability to relate and to accomplish the tasks to which we are called. We are at home with God. God's family members care for each other, are committed to each other, confront each other, and sustain each other. The church is not like a family. The church is a family. And in this family, we remind one another that we are known, that we are loved, that we are worth dying for, and that we belong. Who isn't looking for a place where they can truly belong? You are known, you are loved, you are worth dying for, and you belong. We spent the past year discerning this vision, praying, listening to, listening to you. And as we did that, it became clear that there are some barriers to success that we need to address if we're gonna overcome this as a church. If we're gonna be successful, there are some barriers. And one particular barrier that we have to overcome is the generational barrier. Now listen, I wanna start by saying this, and please hear me. I have nothing against children's ministries, student ministries, ministries to young adults, ministries to married couples, ministries to single adults, ministries to mothers, ministries to fathers, ministries to those in the workforce, ministries to those who are retired, ministry to those who, I'm out of breath. Could do that all day, right? Because we have so many isolated ministries. And don't misunderstand me, I have nothing against these ministries. They are all an important part of our discipleship journey and as the lead pastor of this church, I want all of these ministries to be great. But there's a problem. Delegating faith development to generationally or demographically defined ministries, it's one of the main reasons why churches grow apart. And one area in particular is with children and students. Because the truth is, for the past 40 years, we've delegated discipleship to programs and to professionals who at best, at the most, spend 40 to 50 hours a year with our kids. And we trust that that's enough to help our students know that they are known, that they are loved, that they are worth dying for, that they belong. Y'all, 40 to 50 hours a year is not sufficient time for them to know that in their bones. It's not sufficient time for them to know and love the Lord in return. I led the student ministry here from 2004 to 2010. And if you were watching from the outside, that ministry looked really successful. Like the numbers were good. The programs were active. But today, only a handful of them are active in the church and are committed to their faith in Jesus. Some are, thank God, but the number is few. And there are reasons for this, but I am convinced that at least part of the problem is that we often left them to eat alone, to worship alone, to study alone. They were part of a youth group but they weren't part of the church. And when they went to college looking for a church, they didn't recognize what they found because they were looking for a youth group. 
I led a ministry that kept them separated from the church that was responsible for their discipleship because I thought that I could do it on my own. And the church let it happen. Now I feel some shame about this, but I'm not totally blaming myself, it's what I was trained to do. But the truth is that we are at risk of losing another generation and we just can't afford to do it that way any longer. Like we owe the next generation more than just a room on the other side of the building and our tolerance when they break something. (laughs) That's funny, but did you hear it? We owe them more than that. Like right now, we're in a transition with our student ministry staff. And by transmission, by transition, I mean that we currently have no one on our staff serving in that role. So you need to know that until the right people come along and accept that job, I've adjusted my role as the lead pastor so that I can be a part of the team that's serving our students once again. But this time, I'm committed to doing it right. And thankfully, I'm not doing it alone. Emily Omanya, she handles hospitality and assimilation. She's also radically changed her role so that she can serve with me. For us to do this, the entire staff has had to change their role. A group of parents and adults are all in to help teach and lead small groups and games and meals and trips. And we still need to hire staff to run the program, and we are active in that search. Right, Roland? Right. But this will only ever work when all ministries, but when the student ministry in particular exists in community with the rest of the church. And when the church as a whole is serious about walking side by side, children, students, and adults of all ages, as we worship and pursue Jesus together. It'll only work when we all get serious about walking alongside our students so that they can come to trust deep in their bones that they are known, loved, and worth dying for and that they belong. Not theoretically know it, so that they can know it by experience because they have a community around them, giving them evidence that it's true, taking the time to get to know them, revealing Christ's love to them, giving them a place to truly belong, a place to lead, a place to grow. I am not willing to lose another generation from the church. You shouldn't be either. Jesus loves them and it's our job to show them and guide them into his loving arms. To give them the opportunity not to just participate but to lead, to have a voice, to have real influence over the work of the church. The church needs them. And the world needs a church where every generation knows and shares the authentic, transformative love of Jesus. Now listen, this isn't about programs that are going to exclude older generations. Fuller Seminary commissioned a study to see what this kind of attention and commitment to intergenerational ministry would do to the overall health of the church. And they studied many different churches in a variety of contexts And they found that without exception, when a church commits to building bonds between generations and when a church invests in particular in the younger generations, everyone wins. Every age, every demographic, every part of the church thrives. This is just one part of what it means for us to grow together. 
over the next five years. I'll share more over the next two weeks. But this is part of what we are asking you to invest in. Yes, your treasure, your money, of course. But also your time, your talent, your wisdom, your experience. We need you. Because stewardship isn't just about money. It's about using and stewarding resources well. And the greatest resource the church has is not its money, it's its people. So we have teams right now that are currently building strategies and measures, and we're going to communicate that to you throughout the coming year. But for now, today, there's two things that we need from you. And the first thing we need from you is patience and some grace. We do need the resources to add talented people to this team. And we need your patience while we look for them. Emily and I and the rest of the staff need you to be gracious to us as our roles change so that we can serve our students and their families well. I need your patience and understanding. There's gonna be times when you expect me to be pastorally present for something. But we have a talented pastoral staff, we have elders, we have deacons, we have a family. I will be a part of that team, of course. But it can't always be me, just because of the title I have. I'll also be preaching a little less. So we need to trust and listen to the other gifted voices that God has given us to share the good news with us every week. So we'll need your patience and some grace. I will need your patience and grace. Now the second thing we need is your time. So many families with young kids and students, y'all, they're just trying to make it. Raising kids in this culture is no joke. Preach. (laughs) Those of you with older kids, I know you're tired, I know you're busy. Find a way to be present, be an ear, and be an advocate for parents preparing, growing little ones. Those of you whose kids might be off to college, be available for parents who are getting ready to send theirs. Those of you who have kids that are now adults and living their own lives, share with us your victories and your failures. Help us to see it. We're not alone in this. We're not the only ones who don't know what we're doing. And we can survive these storms. For those of you without children, make our kids a part of your family. (laughs) You're welcome to help pay for college, (laughs) for (laughs) dance. (laughs) Listen, generation to generation, all working together towards God's purposes for our church and for our lives. This is oikos. This is koinonia. This is the family of God. Every member doing their part. So give your time. Be present for each other. And over the next five years, pay attention. Be especially present across those generational lines. Be present for children and students. For this congregation, be present for our older retired people. Listen, it's gonna take us some time to make official programs available to you, but in the meantime, be watching for those opportunities that God gives you, those opportunities to make connections. Be ready to do that now, and when the opportunity comes, do something about it. 
But in the meantime, there's one specific thing that we want to ask everybody to do. A very specific challenge for the entire church for all of 2024. It's the right way to start this five-year journey. Adults, over the next year, we want every one of you to know the names of five students, to know their names and to know enough about them that you can ask them a new specific question every time you see them. How'd the test go last week? How's the game Friday night? Or even better for some of you, I was at the game Friday night and I'm so proud of you. There's a program beyond the walls of our church called Kids Hope. It'll help you practice this skill, learn how to invest in the lives of kids in our community, learn how to just talk and relate. I'm gonna tell you more about it during the announcements. And if you're getting to know students, even at the surface level, then you need to know and be available for their parents too. Because this is about connections across all generations. And students, we want to invite you to challenge you to do the same thing. Over the next year, learn the names of five adults, and me and Emily don't count. (laughs) Learn the names of five adults and learn enough about them that you can ask them a specific question every time you see them, something better than, were dinosaurs alive when you were a kid? (laughs) You can start with that question if you want as an icebreaker. Y'all, this is oikos, this is a household. This is quantania true community. Like how weird would it be to be in a home where children and their grandparents never speak, never engage, never play together, never laugh together, never read together? How weird would that be? Then why is it okay here? It shouldn't be. Y'all, this is not about caring only for our young people. It's just about acting as if they are as much a part of this body as we are. It's about seeing the church not just as an institution that serves my purposes and meets my needs, but as a family, a living legacy that we hand off to those who come after us. Teach them how to build the church of the future upon its one true foundation, not by telling them how to do it, not by leaving them notes. Show them, do it with them. Walk alongside them. This is just one part of what it means for us to grow together. We'll talk about part two next week. Let's pray. That word family is a sensitive word for a lot of people, um, me included. Father, we pray that as we continue this conversation over the next couple weeks, redeem that word for those of us who have baggage, for those of us maybe who feel alone, for those of us who have issues from the past, redeem that word. Help us to see what family really can be and help us to see it here in this place. Help us to build the kind of bonds that last far into the future where we're celebrating victories together, where we're weeping together through defeats and through losses where we're walking side by side, children, students, and adults, into the glorious future that you've prepared for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. amen.